Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. And we are here to talk today uh, and on our second topic in a four-part series on marriage. Uh, last time we discussed um, what the uh, church and God puts before us as the ideal for Christian marriage. And today we're going to talk about um, the ways uh, that we often struggle to right. live the ideal. And one of the, one of the ways I want to frame this too, Megan, is... is and I've, I've made mention before, we try to look at our spouses as if they had no original sin and how God originally created them. Well, when we talk about ideal marriage, that kind of holds true too, right? But we have a fallen nature and there's going to be a lot more complications to it. And so right. that's why we talk about what the ideal is, but we're also going to talk more realistically too in this episode that we're kind of calling unequally yoked. But what does that mean exactly? Right. I mean, I think when we when we look at the scripture and it talks about um, being unequally yoked, generally you're in that you're, it tends to be referring to a believer and a non-believer. But I think we should maybe expand that term and uh, to understand it as when the two spouses aren't on the same page spiritually. Um, Very good. Yes. Because for me, the as we were talking about the ideal of Christian marriage, um, what it boils down to to me is, of course, I mean, we're always going to have our our human frailties, our you know fallen natures that you know concupiscence situation. I mean, this side of heaven, like that's going to infuse every human relationship. So the idea that you can have a perfect marriage in the sense that you never step out of um, living in the divine will is that's just never going to happen. Not I mean, realistic. Just, it's just folks. not going to happen. No, let's be real. But for me, the way I conceive of living out the sacrament of marriage ideally is when both partners are truly ordered towards God, devoutly seeking his will in all things, and are doing that both as individuals and as a couple together. That where both partners have the same mindset and put on the mind of Christ in their marriage and in their personal lives. Like in their, per, you know, when I say personal life, I mean as an individual. Because you know, we, we always have to remember that in marriage, You've got this interesting reality, which is meant to mirror the Trinity, which is one but unique persons, right? The Trinity is three persons, one God. And in a marriage, we're one couple. As a couple, you're one. You're one flesh. It says it in the Bible more than one time, you know, the two shall become one flesh. But you are still two persons. And and. When you have two persons then who are also one, you know, there's going to be, it's going to be complicated, especially if you're human and not like the divine trinity who have perfect congruence of their wills among the three persons. Um, so when we live out our marriage in this fallen world, uh, we are striving towards the divine unity, which is a perfect concordance of wills ordered towards God. but those wills often don't find that perfect unity. Yes. And there are a number of different ways that that can happen. Um, but when it's a persistent state of being where the partners aren't on the same page in the sense that they're, they're both ordered towards seeking God and growing in holiness, and one maybe is and one isn't, 
I would call that unequally yoked, even if both are Catholic or both are Christian or whatever. Right. I want to say like kind of the, one of the subtitles was when love is not patient. Because <laughs> I think yeah. that like that is so true. You know, when yeah. love is not patient. That's that is definitely true. But also joining us for this episode, uh, we have Dennis Maka joining us. So thank Hi, you for joining us today to give us more of that uh, Glad to be here. masculine color, that masculine um, counterbalance to to us as we're talking about um, being unequally yoked. And I, I think when we're talking about being unequally yoked, it's not a day to day thing. It's an <laughs> overall pattern. Sure. I mean, there are days where Darby says, OK, it's time for prayer. And I'm like, hmm. I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed for that day. Yeah. We may be unequally yoked. She may be the spiritual leader of our family for that day, but we're talking about a a general pattern over time. Right. Yeah. Where I just, if I'm not wanting to go to mass, that's not the case in our family, but I'm just saying, for example, if one spouse doesn't want to go to mass and the other one is faithful to to their weekly, at least uh, obligation, you know, that that's a pattern that we're looking at, not just a day to day. One of the feeling. more heartbreaking things that I've I hear kind of generally from women who've been married 15, 20 years is that uh, their husband won't pray with them. And that's one of their greatest desires is their husband will pray with them and, and become um, closer and much more intimate with them, as we talked about on the last episode. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of want to talk and address that too, Megan, because that seems to be a big heartache for a lot of people out there when your spouse will not pray, will not pray with you. And, and right. you know, how do we address that? What do we do to encourage that relationship with them? I mean, I can talk about from experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to point out that the reason why a spouse might not pray with another spouse who has the desire. It's not necessarily the same reason always, right? Um, You could say, like in the last episode, um, Dennis was talking about how if you're somebody who feels that personal prayers are extremely intimate and maybe there's parts of yourself that you're frightened to reveal, Mm -hmm. even to your spouse that you feel like might be revealed in prayer, that's one thing. That's, That's a that's an interesting part of deciding um, how open you're willing to be in your marriage, how vulnerable you're willing to be in your marriage. And and I would say the more vulnerable um, you're willing to be in the marriage, the more fruitful your marriage can be, but you can only have a vulnerability in a place where you feel safe and you have trust. And so that's something that continues to need to be built throughout the lifetime of a marriage, um, a trust um, and a comfort that you feel that, you know, your spouse isn't going to be judging you and saying um, well, you're not as, you know, down the path as far spiritually as I am and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yes. so there might be that issue, but then there's, there, there can be the issue of um, a spouse who it doesn't want to pray simply because they don't pray. Like that's, they don't have right. a desire to pray. They don't seek the Lord in prayer. And so that's not something that they even desire. And that's a much different situation than a person who just feels kind of uncomfortable because it's vulnerable, but they really do seek the Lord in their own prayer life. And I think you need to come to understand, well, okay, why doesn't my spouse want to pray with me? What's the difficulty? Exactly. And don't just assume. Right. And one of the things that you know, we can't have a show about being unequally yoked if we don't talk about personal woundedness. So we all have that. And so sometimes those kind of things need to be healed and overcome at some point so you can be more vulnerable. Right. I think when we when we talked about, again, you know, 
I'm pretty much obsessed with spiritual friendship, so that topic is going to come up <laughs> quite a bit. That's why we're doing the show, Megan, so you can like pour your heart out on this one, babe. Why we have a podcast. (laughs) Right. So, but going back to the topic of spiritual friendship, and one of the things that we talked about when we were saying that is that to be able to be in a place to enter into a spiritual friendship starts before you ever meet the person. And this is the reality with marriage, too. You're not all of a sudden, because you're married, going to have this like great prayer life. Like if you haven't developed a prayer life in your life before marriage, the idea that all of a sudden it's just going to show up because you happen to have the sacrament of marriage is, is pretty naive. Right. So I think when we're talking about the topic of unequally yoked in a marriage, it's important to mention what the preparation before marriage is happening because um, there's this idea that, you some I think some people fall into this idea that if they're marrying somebody of the same faith, like if you're marrying a fellow Catholic, say for us, we're all Catholics. Um, if my child say, you know, gets proposed to by a, of another by a Catholic, and you can, and maybe you're just going to have this assumption that this person I'm marrying is going to be living out the Catholic life as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't really assume that you. Because how you're formed before you go into that marriage is is really going to be lived out once you're in it. Mm -hmm. So those are the sort of things that really ought to be discussed and and explored in the stage before you ever enter into marriage and make a decision. Am I, am I equally yoked with this person? And that should be a priority when you're going into marriage because it's so much, um, it, marriage is just hard in general, right? But if you if you know that you're going into it where you're you're not on the same page spiritually, you don't have the same priorities um, as it relates towards God and, and bringing Him into your life, it's going to be a constant struggle. Very much so, yeah. And and it doesn't just apply to the spiritual life because if you're uh, doing bad things before marriage behaviorally. Well, I'm going to change once I'm married. Right. No, that's not necessarily going to be the case. You know, the same temptations are going to be there. The same attitudes are going to be there. The same behavioral patterns are going to be there. So it does apply very much to, to the spiritual life as well. So as you're picking your spouse and your future spouse, pick wisely. Someone that you can share that foundation with. Very, very much so is is a is a... That's a game changer. If you're wanting to make it the long run to the to the end goal of being growing old together and having grandchildren and the, the ideal marriage of where we we get one another to heaven, um, that is the ideal marriage. If you want to make that your goal, you need to set that foundation in the beginning. Well, but with this episode, we are talking about when the difficulties arise, and I really want to leave our listeners with some tools, Megan, that we can use to 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 have them look or perspective when things are really challenging and difficult. Uh, so, one, we're talking about praying together. So, Dennis already alluded to starting out small, wherever that comfort zone is. Um, I like to also suggest one of the ways it started in my relationship was just the daily readings and discussing them kind of electo divina because it's nice Mm -hmm. uh order toward god um yet more to it than Mm -hmm. just that you know to be together 
pouring over the Gospels like that. That's one way to start out. Um, but again, we have to remember this is a generous surrender to the holy will of God in your marriage. He wants to sanctify you through these challenges. Right. I would, I'd like to bring into the conversation um, a passage from 1 Corinthians uh, when Paul, the, so in the early church, right, you had a lot of converts, right? And, and I can speak to my own personal experience of this, and I'm, and I'm happy to do so after I bring the verse in. But um, so in the early church, you know, there was this question of, okay, I've become a Christian now, and my spouse hasn't become a Christian. Should I just leave them? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to, we're supposed to be equally yoked as Christians. And, you know, I've converted that my spouse is unwilling and, and this, that, and the other. And so what does St. Paul had to say to that? Well, he says, no, if you're already in a marriage, you should stay in that marriage. And he says, for the unbelieving husband is consecrated through his wife and the unbelieving wife is consecrated through her husband. That's from 1 Corinthians 7, 14. And so nice. I think the important thing to remember about that is while say you're the person who's the more believing, the more spiritual or the, the more all in let's say mm-hmm. in, in your spiritual life and, and desire to seek God and everything. And you have a spouse who's unwilling or not there or totally rejects. It can be very easy to focus on your own disappointment and your own um, lack of fulfillment of what you wanted. I mean, because, you know, if you're a lover of God and you're a lover of the church, you want to live out the marriage that God has designed, the ideal of it. it it's enticing. It's, it's you want it in your heart. You want it because you want to be that witness and you want to experience the joys of unity, real deep unity, both spiritually and physically that exactly. you can only ever experience on this earth with your spouse. The the deepest level of spiritual and physical communion, which most closely mirrors our intimacy with Christ as our lover and who we receive in the Eucharist. So when your heart is so ordered towards that desire and you you feel thwarted in your ability to live out that ideal, if your focus then is frustration and pain and, and everything, you've turned in on yourself and now you're becoming more selfish when the reality is your goal is still just the same goal as the ideal marriage as it was, you know, laid out, which is to get your spouse to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And so the understanding of the way that you live out your life in that unequally yoked marriage is part of the sanctification and salvation of your Absolutely. spouse. And that you have a great work of God still at play in your marriage, which may look not ideal, but it is a great work. Right. And and it's our witness within that union that can be the saving grace of your spouse. Exactly. That can be a beautiful thing if you focus on that instead of your own disappointment. Right. So it's perspective and expectation. So if your expectations aren't being met, you want to order it toward what God wants. And it's an amazing opportunity for grace and sanctification. You have to look at that. Look at it that way, folks. When those challenges come along, say, thank you, God, that I have this challenge to then overcome. I mean, look at the cross. So that was the real kind of love. You're given that same opportunity when you are in a relationship that seems so um, off, 
off kilter, so to speak, right. that it's not rightly ordered the way you would like it to be. But again, thank God for that opportunity to show more virtue, to increase that love for that person, that sacrificial love. Right. And as I said, you know, like I can bring in my own personal experience. And, you know, it's funny, as I always listen to the podcast like once after it posts. Do because you? Yeah, I listen to it once because truth be told, I literally don't remember what we said. <laughs> once once I've got, uh, I listen to it to say like, okay, what did I say? Because, you know, I've been known to say crazy stuff sometimes. So I just, you know, I'll listen. When what I, something that I noticed um, as a pattern is that you, Pam, are much more willing to share personal information about your own life and bring in your own personal experiences than I am. And I've really noticed it as a huge pattern. So on this topic, I'm going to share my own experience. Mm-hmm. I, um, as a convert, came into the Catholic Church already married. I was married to someone who we were equally yoked when mm-hmm. we were married. We were on the same page spiritually pretty much. And... Um, through the, you know, over time in our marriage, um, at the time uh, we had been married, let's see, I know it was seven, so we would have been married for... 13, 14 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, right around there. Good, good memory, Dennis. I'm, I'm Well, impressed. you just celebrated your 21st. We did just celebrate our 21st. I converted to the Catholic faith. I had a profound conversion experience where I, at the point that I was at, I had even gone like further away from faith than I was when I was first married. I'd gone from being sort of a lukewarm Protestant to an agnostic. And then God was, he was done with that. Mm. And he's, he called me back to him in a very um, profound, powerful way. And not just back to him, but back, but to the Catholic church, which had never been on my radar screen prior to that. It wasn't like I was flirting with the Catholic church for, for years and decided, you know, was, didn't come in or whatever. No, this was like out of the blue, knock Paul off the horse situation. <laughs> and so, you know, so I convert, but my husband did not feel that call, has not felt that call, and continues to not be Catholic. And so through no fault of either of us, mm-hmm. we're unequally yoked in that way. Um, and it has been such a process of coming to deal with that and and my own w- way of dealing with it and how I can function within that because the the more i learn about my faith the more i live in within the catholic church the more i fall in love with it the more it becomes yes. such a deep integral part of my identity Amen. that i can't i can't stop that and still be honest as a human being right and so when that huge and in becoming even greater part of who I am is not shared with my spouse, not lived together with my spouse, that is very hard. That is a suffering. I will admit it. it, it I, the desire for the deepest level of intimacy and unity that can only be found kneeling before the altar of God and receiving Christ in the Eucharist shoulder to shoulder is the deepest, most profound longing of my heart. And mine. Yeah. But for sure. I can't have that right now because God hasn't worked in that way in my husband's life. But what I have come to find over the past, you know, five years more than than ever is 
if I stop focusing on what I want to be and start focusing on what is and finding God's grace and beauty in that, that it's really changed my whole perspective on things where I, that turning of the focus off of what I want, what I really, really want is so important to me. And what I believe God wants, I still believe God wants it ultimately, but then looking at the reality that I live in and finding God in it has opened my eyes so profoundly to the grace that exists in my husband's life, even though it, it's not the fullness of truth in the Catholic faith. I, my yes. eyes have been open to who he is as a man and my respect for him has increased profoundly and my ability to live in the, the lack of the ideal. Right. Well, in the present moment, which yeah. is one of the things that I is a go-to on every type of, uh, let's say difficulty I encounter is I always remember abandonment to divine providence. Mm-hmm. God has allowed this on this day and this time for you in your life for a purpose and embrace it as such, whether it's a good or a bad, uh, embrace it as part of God's divine plan for you and mm-hmm. your spouse. Right. And I think that's the thing. What we experience as a good or a bad in our lives, if we are true lovers of God, are all good in the end because Amen. God he, God brings good out of all things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So just because we're not experiencing it as a joy or a pleasure and but maybe are experiencing it as a great suffering, if you have the perspective of it is all good that is received through God's grace and through his will, you can live in that trust of the goodness that he will bring, even if you don't feel it in the moment, experience it in the moment, or see any way to it. It's not for us to see all the way down the path. It's only for us to yeah. see the light to our uh, onto our feet. And I think part of the reason why y'all have me here and talking is the male's perspective. But if I were to put myself in your husband's shoes, your gung-ho all in, you know, guns blazing Catholicism would be pretty darn intimidating. And <laughs> I think I, it's intimidating to people other than my husband too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm talking from my own shoes, I guess. No, no, I I would say, I I think finding like when you said you're, you're, you changed your own perspective to finding the joy and the progress that is there, I think that would open up his or any other husband's heart to say, okay, I'll do that next little step, but I'm not going to be able to be as gung ho as you because that's darn scary. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think if we have, sometimes we, we, um, get, get comparative to one another. Somebody's told me, Oh no, you're a super Catholic because you're started a radio station. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a sinner like anyone, you know, I'm just doing where God is leading doing what God is leading me to do. I, I think if I were to put myself in his shoes, I, I think trying to be a daily communicant, adoration going, you know, might be pretty intimidating, but if I could maybe do this next step, okay, sure. I'll say in our father with you, or mm-hmm. I will, you know what I'm saying? That next step, I can do that. And, and if you, as a spouse to him, we're able, like you said, change your own perspective to find the grace and the joy that has has come 
from this conversion, I think there would be some some cause for some hope. And I'm not saying you don't have that hope by any means, but I'm saying for those that are listening that are in a similar situation, if you look back at your husband over the past seven years or six years since you've come into the church, there have been some changes in his behavior and attitude. And then we've talked about that all along. And so, you know, even though it brings uh, suffering to you that to know he isn't where you're at, I don't know if maybe you should expect him to be where you're at because I don't think I'm, I'm where you're at, Megan, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Well, and I've been Catholic my whole life. And so, you know, I think we're all different in, in, in not compares, comparing one another. I think uh, your spouse has come forward in his understanding of where you're at. And that in itself is grace and blessing. Absolutely. And I think one of the really, really important things to remember, if you're, say, the spouse who is more into your faith, let's just put it that way, uh-huh. is remember that is not your doing. To the largest degree, that is the grace of God in your life. That is God's work in your life. And any sense of pride seeping into your sense of, well, I'm the holier one. Like that <laughs> is not of God. No, no. Sure. You, we, we should re approach this idea of the unequally yoked situation with a huge dose of humility and gratefulness to God. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done in my life, the grace that you have poured into me that I have the opportunity to receive the blessing of faith that you have given me and the joys that accompany it. And that I have no right to sit in judgment over my spouse who maybe hasn't been able to receive that mm. blessing to the fullness that you, you have given me because of your goodness and not of my merit. Right. And you know, I think I found myself probably in the situation of most Catholic women my age when we came into the marriage, we were pretty much on the same page about the faith. Everything's going well. But at some point, I kind of like took off. I just really, by the grace of God, took off in my faith. And then I was wanting to, you know, kind of pull him along in a way. So there is that, too. And you had such a great quote from earlier when about spiritual leadership in the family. Remember we're talking about from this encyclical? Oh, right. Yeah. It was so good because I, I think probably it might be according to our feminine nature and being more open and sensitive that we can grow a little faster and more rapidly in our faith and say our husbands who through no fault of their own, what way they're made, their focus on their jobs and their careers, it's kind of a natural thing, I believe. So I think a lot of women find themselves in that situation, which when that happens, we are called to just kind of step it up and lead according to God's plan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we can talk a little more about this um, in the next episode. But I'll give I'll give the um, the quote. It'll be very relevant to the next episode, but I think it's relevant to the conversation now. This is from uh, the letter by Pope um, Pius XI um, on Christian marriage, and he says. Um, the, the subjection of wife to husband in its degree and manner may vary according to the different conditions of person, place, and time. In fact, if the husband neglects his duty, it falls on the wife to take his place in directing the family. Now, the, he is speaking, you know, 
we're going to talk next one on obedience and, and the proper order of the hierarchy of the family. But let's just generalize it and not say husband or wife, but just say if one of the partners is not um, really properly ordered towards the will of God, has has not surrendered their heart to the Lord and, and maybe is actively opposing them, you know, God, like we're blessed in, in all of, of us at this table. None of us are in a marriage where the spouse is rejecting God outright and, and denying him or, mm-hmm. or, or even like, you know, a situation like poor dear Elizabeth Lesseur, whose husband was a rabid atheist and would attack her faith. Um, no, we're, we're not in that situation, but there are those situations that Saint exist. Monica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but the point is, is that we should never feel that all is lost because one spouse isn't there. You know, the, the spouse who is a lover of God does have the responsibility to take up that mantle and to um, promote the love of God in their family. Um, now, even if that's difficult. I mean, like the last two episodes, we were talking about moral conviction and, and speaking truth in love. And if you are, you know, a faithful person and you're being, you know, opposed in that faithfulness to by a spouse or, any, you know, you still have the responsibility to live ordered towards God's will and to speak the truth in love um, when those issues arise. Because uh, in the end, I, I mean, I think sometimes when we romanticize marriage and we get all like, oh, we become one and we're, 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 there's nothing that's not shared and just between us. Well, the truth of the matter is um, when we see Christ at the end of our lives or when he comes back in glory, our personal judgment will still be personal. Like we're not judged as a couple. Right. We're judged as an yeah. individual and we will have to answer to Christ Jesus for how we conducted ourselves and that sometimes that means um, just sort of that self-denial, that, you know, self-sacrifice to our spouse. And sometimes that means standing up and saying, no, that's not right. That's wrong. God calls us to this. Both of those can be a suffering, right? But we're called to do what God calls us to according to his will And that's what we'll be judged on. Well, and I also want to bring up from personal experience, too, how I was that person who the expectation was, well, I want him to be this way and I'd like for him to do this with me. And I really want us to have this ideal. Right. I was really focused on that. I know God wants it. And I was I found myself getting more and more frustrated. And a dear friend of mine gave me a book called How to Change Your Husband. And you know what it was all about? Changing yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) So there was that abandonment to divine providence. He's allowed it for a reason. And so one of the best tools that I ever got, there's two things. One, lead by example. Become the best Catholic, the best Catholic woman, Christian mother, wife that you can be. That was definitely one of them. And the next one was to just leave it between him and God. I I heard this still small voice Mm -hmm. at one day where I'm still trying to, this is years ago when he wasn't going to mass regularly with us. And it just, it broke my heart for Christ too. But I was angry because I Mm -hmm. wanted it, you know, I wanted it to look a certain way, some vanity in there, I'm sure. But then I heard this still small voice in my mind that said, all I'm asking you to do is pray for him. The rest is between me and him. Right. And so that is so profoundly true. As a wife, all you can do is pray and set a good example. Fraternal correction is always a part of it, too, because we want to have them ordered toward the good always. And if they need to be called out, they need to be called out. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, abandonment to that divine providence. 
be a good example. And if you want a change to last, you don't want your spouse to change because you've nagged them to death, <laughs> male or female. <laughs> That's right. Because then it's not going to sink for real. Yeah. You want it to be something that they would adopt for their own. Exactly. And they see the joy in you if you're the one with a greater spirituality or, or a deeper love for the Lord. They, You want that example to be something they, they would say, yeah, I kind of think I kind of want that. Right. And I want to get there on my own time and terms, not necessarily have you tell me how I should be there at the same time. And I think the defensiveness will, will disappear. I think in that case, I, I think we all have a tendency, well, I'm not going to do it cause I don't want to, and I'm going to just bury my heels. You know, mm-hmm. we all have a tendency to do that, but if there is no reason to dig our heels in, then our defenses are down and the Lord can work, I think through that even better. Yeah, I think two words that really come to mind as we wrap this up um, are respect mm-hmm. and commonality. When we're in a position where the ways that we're unequally yoked are causing conflict, it's really important to enter into those conflicts with an attitude of respect, of saying, you know, we may disagree, but I love you and I respect you for who you are. And I acknowledge that you have the right to opinions that are different than mine. So if you start there and then ask, where is our common ground? Where are the, what are the things that we agree on as far as who we are, what we want our family to be? Those areas that we're united, let's start there. Yes. Let's yes. focus on that and work out from there. Because if all we focus on is how we're different and how we don't agree and then start looking at each other with disrespect because we see things differently, there's no way out or up from there. But if we start with respect and commonality, then I think God's grace can work in that. Exactly. And embrace the adversity as a part or opportunity for growth, like the catechism also says this grace of Christian marriage is a fruit of Christ's cross. Oh, the amen. source of all Christian life. That's from 1615 in the catechism. Perfect. So it is the fruit of Christ's cross. So we have to remember that is a beauty in of itself. You know, like, mm-hmm. look how beautiful the cross is. When we see him up there, we're so thankful for what he did for us. Hey, he gives you the opportunity in your daily lives, that kind of suffering for others. That I love that. Awesome. Perfect way to, to end that. So let's wrap um, this topic up with, um, yeah, sometimes our marriages can be the beautiful, awe-inspiring, joyful ideal, and sometimes they're the cross, but both times they are good because all that is of God is good. Amen. So next time, uh, we hope you'll tune in when we will talk about the probably most challenging part of this four-part podcast series on marriage, obedience and discernment. So come on back next time. And until then, God bless. And it's not just challenging for the women, by the way. It's challenging (laughs) for both. (laughs) You'll you'll hear more about that later. So be challenged with us next time. And go be holy. Amen. (laughs) Bye for now.